Uh, Revelation chapter number one, and uh, we're going to jump right in tonight. I just wanted to share those few things with you um, as you plan uh, your days ahead. Revelation chapter number two is where we're at. Revelation chapter number two. Start reading in verse number eight. We're just going to read the on to verse number 11 and gather our thoughts. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But thou faithful unto death... And I will give, excuse me, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. We're going to start right at the top of your outline and uh, work our way down. We found in our last session that the book of Revelation falls into three categories based on a Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 19. The things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And we are in the things which are as we're talking about the church, uh, the seven churches. These churches were probably chosen because they collectively represent all churches of John's time as well as subsequent generations. Also, these seven churches represent particular kinds of Christians. So as we study these seven churches, ask the Lord to help you determine which is the most like you. And we talked about that last week a little bit in finding ourselves in these categories uh, to find out where we are at uh, in relation to the seven churches as well as our generations. Uh, for, uh, our first thought in the outline, number one, is the city. We, we cover the same five points through all of these um, churches. And so again, we're going to first talk about the city. So the city is the first one. The city of Smyrna was located about 40 miles north of Ephesus. Even in John's day, Smyrna was an old city dating back to the third millennial BC. Today, Smyrna is known as Izmir and with a population around 300,000. It is the third largest city in Turkey. It's the third largest city in Turkey. Now, um, we're gonna, I'm going to jump ahead for just a moment, and then I'm going to retrace my steps, okay? So just bear with me for a moment. Last week, which church did we talk about? Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of the, or not last week, it was two weeks ago. Ephesus was one of the richest cities in Asia Minor. Do you remember that? And they had uh, uh, the temple, and they had all these things, and it was gorgeous. And then now today, what is it? Ruins. And it was because of how they approached God and how they approached their life. If, when you read about Smyrna, you find out that there is actually, this is one of two churches that God does not condemn them. God does not say that they have done anything wrong. The other church is the church of Philadelphia. These two churches prosper as today, Ismar is the th uh, third largest city in Turkey, and uh, it is not in ruins. As a matter of fact, it is uh, uh, well taken care of. Now, of course, it's in Turkey. Uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, 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 opposition there and a lot of problems there. But in relation to the seven churches, 
Uh, this is one of the churches that does not have condemnation and is still populated in a well sense. So they have uh, uh, the third largest city in Turkey. You can go home and you can do a geographical study on Izmir. Uh, or Izmir, however you want to pronounce it, um, and uh, it was what Smyrna used to be. Smyrna was a very patriotic city. Um, each time there was a Roman civil war, Smyrna was fortunate enough to pick the winning side. Therefore, it was made a free city with no Roman garrison, so the people basically had the freedom to do as they pleased. So you see that, that it was a very patriotic, uh, patriotic city. And uh, because of that, they were given uh, rights and privileges. Uh, because of its patriotism, Smyrna won the privilege of building the first Roman temple in honor of Tiberius. And quite naturally, they readily accepted the principle of Caesar worship. Now, you say, Pastor, you just talked about that it's flourished, and now you're talking about Caesar worship. We'll continue, and you'll see it in a moment. Each year, under Caesar worship, each year, every Roman citizen had to burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the godhead of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a requirement that you had to go and you had to burn incense and then you had to say, Caesar is Lord. And you had to do this once a year. And if you didn't do this, guess what would happen to you? You'd be killed. They, they, they would chop your head off. Uh, if you did not say that Caesar is Lord. I can't imagine living in that type of society. You say, do societies like that still exist today? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And, uh, and, and is the same thing that was happening in Smyrna is the same thing that's happening in the populace of where these same events are taking place in other countries where Christians are saying, no, we will not be a part of that, and we will actually stand up against it. Many Christians refused to participate in this act of worship and were ch thus charged with disloyalty to Rome, which resulted in them being killed at the stake or by a wild beast in the arena. Therefore, the Christians of Smyrna were suffering tremendous persecution. So literally, if you did not uh, burn this incense, you did not say Caesar is Lord, they would either kill you or they would put you on public display in an arena and uh, sick the wild beast on you. And it was, uh, it was a game. It was, people would come from all over and they would watch this uh, event take place where literally, uh, uh, in the most grotesque way, uh, people were being killed. And you know what? The truth of the matter is, is that unfortunately... And in, in third world countries today, we are seeing this again on the rise, where it is becoming more of a, 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 an enjoyment and a pleasure to see people that stand up for Christ being persecuted. And I would say this to you as a Christian, that where we are at today, we need to come to a decision in our life how much we truly believe and trust in God because I believe with all my heart there might come a time here in our own country and in our own place of worship that we are tested. That we are, we are put to the test about our Christianity. Um, I know uh, just recently um, in Oregon with the, the things that were happening there, uh, it's a real deal. This is a, a real moment that we are beginning to be pressed up against of whether or not that we are willing to stand up and to say that we are Christians. 
And the truth of the matter is, is that we never know what our answer is going to be until we're faced with it. But this is what I would say. I would say that we make a decision now so that when we're faced with it, we don't question the decision. Because there could come a time, and I don't think it would go to such an extreme as this in America, but I could be wrong. But that's literally what they were doing to Christians over in Smyrna. They were killing them, or they would put them on display uh, for all, everyone to see. So that was the city. Second of all, the commendation. The commendation. We find the commendation in verse number 9. The Bible says this, I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty... And then in parentheses, if you have the King James Bible there in front of you, it says, but thou art rich. But thou art rich. That's why I entitled this thought, Smyrna, the poor, rich church. Because, because in, in retrospect, in a financial way, they were, in, they were poor. They were in poverty. But they were rich because they had Jesus Christ. And can I tell you today that no matter what you have possession-wise, if you have nothing or you have a lot, your possessions are not what it's all about. We are rich in Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate thing that we have. And so Jesus was telling them, hey, listen, I know what you're going through. And as a matter of fact, this is a very interesting uh, uh, passage of Scripture because Jesus said personally he knows what they were going through. He said, I know, I know your tribulation. He said, I know your poverty. He said, I know what you're going through. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, the relation that Jesus had here. When verse 9 begins with Christ saying, I know that works in tribulation and poverty, and I know the blasphemy. The Greek word translated know, I love this, means fullness of knowledge or a complete knowledge attained by experience. Christ had lived this type of life on earth. If we look at the, the story and the history of when Jesus walked upon the face of the earth, he knew what tribulation was. Would you agree with that? He knew uh, what, what poverty was like. He knew uh, uh, what it was like for, for people to, to literally ridicule him and, and despise him all because of who he said he was. And he wasn't just saying who he said, who he, he wasn't just explaining who he was. He was explaining that he is who he says he is. And that's what these people were doing. They were proclaiming Jesus Christ. And because of that, there was great tribulation. There was great poverty. And I love the fact that Jesus says to them, listen, I know what you're going through because I have been there. You know, let's be honest with each other. You know, you go through different trials in your life and uh, different circumstances. And when somebody comes to you or you go to them and you say, you know, I'd really like to talk to you about something. And I'd like us to keep it confidential and I really just need some advice. And they sit down with you and they begin to open up and they tell you about what's going on in their life. There is something about hearing them say, I know exactly what you're going through. Because it's like all of a sudden the walls fall. And it's like, you understand? And then they begin to share their experience about what they went through. And it's like now we've got this connection and we understand each other on a whole new level. And I don't believe at any stretch of the imagination that this was a mistake. That God used these words, I know thy 
tribulation. I know thy poverty. I have a complete understanding and knowledge of what you're going through that attained, that was attained by experience. So this is what I want to tell you as a church and me as myself and you as yourself that you're not going to go through anything that God has not personally experienced. He's been there. And so when you need a friend, when you need somebody to call upon and that is going to be reliable in your life, all you got to do is turn to Jesus because he understands. Matthew, 8 chapter, Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 20, the Bible says, And Jesus saith unto them, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He understood what it mean to, meant to be rejected. He understood what it meant to be pushed away in the tribulation. He understood what it means to go through the poverty. I mean, you think about it. Our, son, our, our, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born in the lowliest of places. In an inn. In a manger, no less. Jesus understood. Luke chapter 23, the Bible says, And when they were come to that place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right hand and one on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments, and they cast lots. For we have not a high priest, uh, Matthew, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, what's the last part of it say? Yet without, Yet without sin. Jesus knows. He knows what you're going through. Christ says, I know thy works in tribulation. The Greek word translated tribulation literally means pressure. He understood their pressure. Or he understood what it was like to be crushed. This is the idea of constant aggressive pressure or persecution. Jesus knew what they were going through. Our Lord is saying he knew the pressure of the persecution the Smyrna Christians were facing. The Lord knew every sorrow. He counted every tear. He felt every pain and completely understood the physical and mental anguish his people were enduring because of the persecution that he faced here on the earth. You know, when we go through tribulations and trials in our own lives, God truly does understand. We talked about on Sunday a little bit about pressure of this world and, 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 and the stress that we're under. Can I tell you that God understands the pressure? Jesus understands the stress. But yet, you know what he says? He says, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. I love that fact that whenever I have pressure in my life and stress in my life, I can take it all and I can just throw it to him. I can just give it to Jesus. Because he said, cast it. I love that word, cast. Uh, I'm not a fisherman. Why is that funny? Um, <laughs> I have caught a few fish in my life. Um, but I'm not a fisherman, but I have gone fishing a couple times. And, uh, you know, there's a huge difference between a cane pole and one that you can cast. 
Growing up, I lived right across, we lived on 10 acres, and my neighbors right across the street, or right across the way, Mr. Jordan, he had a big uh, fish pond, and he had catfish in it, and he had this pier that would go out into the middle of this little lake that he had, and he would call us boys, and we'd come over, he'd say, my, my fish, we got too many of them, you come catch some. Well, that wasn't real fishing, because when you take, the, you put the bread on the hook, you drop it in the water, and three seconds later, they, they bit it, and, and within 10 minutes, you got enough food to eat for three weeks. And, uh, but he would call us over, and uh, I'd catch that fish, and it was still an exciting moment, right? It was still an exciting moment to, to, to grab that thing and bring it up, and then you grab a hold of the catfish, and it stings you. That's fun, you know? The bigger they are, the harder it hurts, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then you get to go out there, and you start casting, and there's something about rearing back and throwing that thing, not letting go of the pole, though. Um, and watching it hit the water. And that's what I think about with Jesus when he says, cast all your cares upon me. I can just take my cares and my worries and I can just cast them to him. Why? Because he cares for me. And not only does he care for me, he understands. Moreover, Christ is fully aware of our tribulation Today, he takes note of those who are ridiculed at work and at school because they are faithful followers of his. The good shepherd knows every wound and every bruise sustained by his sheep as they follow him. God has not forgotten where you are at. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 9, Christ also says, I know thy poverty. The Greek word translated poverty is not the ordinary word that we're used to knowing for poverty. It is the Greek word that means extreme poverty or beggary. They were in the worst state financial condition that you can possibly be in. They were, they were begging for food. They were begging for their necessities in their life. It was extreme poverty and God understood that. These Sumerian Christians were probably deprived of the right to make a living because of economic sanctions imposed against those who refused to participate in the emperor worship. It is also possible that part of their persecution was having their um, property confiscated. They were poverty stricken and God said, I understand that. In spite of all this po uh, poverty, our Lord parenthetically states, but thou art rich. So here poses the question, how is it, if they're in the most extreme state of poverty, how is it that they are rich? This is where you can answer. How is it that they are rich? What's that? Faith in Jesus. What else? Yeah, they, they had everything that they needed in one person and that is Jesus Christ. They had everything they needed in one moment. And that moment was faith. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse starting in verse number 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my, for my sake, rejoice. Look what it says. And be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they prophets which were before you. God says this, hey listen, you might be persecuted here on earth and things might be terrible and you, you might have poverty all around you, but do not fear, have no fear because blessed are you. 
Look what it says. This verse is very interesting to me because we have a tendency to really focus in on a couple things and forget one. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteous sake. We say, yeah, we understand that persecution. Blessed are you and men shall revile you and persecute you. Yeah, we get that. But we always forget this next statement. And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Have you ever had anybody say anything against you that was false? Have you ever had anybody try to ruin your testimony? People trying to ruin your life and they're saying things against you that are false? Look what he says. And all manner of evil against you falsely. What's the next prepositional phrase right there? For my sake? They're doing it for my sake? This is what Jesus says about that. Rejoice. Don't only rejoice, but be exceeding glad for, what's the next word? Now that is a word you should go home and study. For great is your reward. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, if you do all that, you'll get a reward. No worries. No, he says, for great is your reward. Where is it at? In heaven. So listen, we may not feel that the, the things that we have in this world are worthy. We may, not, we may feel that we are persecuted. We may feel that people are hurting our name and they're falsely saying things against us. We may feel like, why is it that, that my neighbor has this and my neighbor has that and, and, and they don't care a thing about God, but I'm trying to serve God and do all this and I have nothing. Listen, you have everything because you have Jesus Christ and your reward is not here on earth. Our reward is in heaven. And I don't know about you, but this is a temporal place. Are you listening to me? The earth is a temporal place. Last night, my wife and I, we were talking. And uh, I, I bet everyone in this room can say it. We were talking about Miss Della, as a matter of fact. She was 78 years old when she went home to be with the Lord. And uh, my wife says to me, this is what she said. She said, I bet Miss Della, when she was well, before she got sick... I bet that she never really felt like she was 78 years old. And I began to think about that statement because I was confused about it for a moment. And she said, looked at me and she said, do you feel like you're 36? She said, it feels like just yesterday we were climbing all over the playgrounds. I said, I was yesterday. No. Um, she said, it feels like just yesterday we were getting ready for that test at school. And she said, and now here we are sitting, getting our kids ready for that test at school. Here we are doing these things that we remember doing, and it doesn't seem like that long ago. And I thought, you know what? You're right. Then I began to think, you know, time just passes by. But this is all temporal. Why would I want my reward to be here? Because this is temporal. I want my reward to be in heaven. That's what I should get excited about. Those are the things that I should be looking and striving for. As sorrowful, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. 2 Corinthians verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I love this, yet for whose sake? For your sake, he became poor. Look what this says. That you through his poverty might be 
rich. He became poor so that I could be rich. What an amazing thought. That is the God that we serve. Uh, Our risen Lord also declared in verse 9, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. There was a large, hostile Jewish community at Smyrna. And from the early days of church, the Jews hated and persecuted Christians. For example, of course, we know the Apostle Paul, um, excuse me, was a Jew. And before he was saved, he spent much of his time having Christians put into prison. He even assisted those who killed Stephen. The book of Acts is full of evidence of the hostility of Jews toward Christians. And I've put some references there for you. There was, a, there was a serious hostility. And so even now, the church of Smyrna is experiencing that hostility and, and that persecution. Acts chapter 14 and verse number 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. For, uh, verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew out of the Uh, city supposing he was dead there was much opposition against the Jews it is clear some in the Jewish community used malicious lies to incite persecution upon the saints in Smyrna the Jews probably did this at least in part to take some heat off of themselves for all devout Jews would have serious problems with emperor worship does anybody know why they would have serious problems with emperor worship I'm sorry that's right Because they were commanded, right? Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. No other gods before me. They would all have a problem with that Jewish worship. Concerning those who were uh, bringing persecution upon his followers, our Lord declared in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 9 that they say they are Jews and are not. What are real Jews in God's sight? That's a good question. The Bible answers it for us in Romans chapter number 2. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Look what it says. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly we're gonna make a connection here and you get ahead of me though okay i want you to get ahead of me think about this for a moment and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of god This verse is referring to Jews. Who is a true Jew? We're going to take this verse, and we're not going to take it out of context. We're just going to switch it a little bit. Uh, For he is not a Jew, for he is not a Christian, which is one outwardly. Neither is that things that we do outward in the flesh. But he is a Christian who is one inwardly. Listen, I know a lot of people that can play church. And don't get mad at me here, okay? I'm just going to speak the truth in love. But there's a lot of people that can put on the show. A lot of people can, 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 can make it seem like that they're a Christian. They, they have all the head knowledge. They have everything up here. But they've never allowed it to seep down into their hearts. And I'm telling you, that's dangerous. Because what's happened is, is the evil one has deceived them. 
And I want us to be very careful tonight that we understand before we leave here that, that Christianity is not something that is outward. Christianity is something that is inward. I never, ever want to change someone from the outside in. You have to change them from the inside out. And, and, and it's God's job to take care of the inside. It's God's job to take care of the outside. It's our job to plant the seed to get it from the head to the heart so that it grows. And then it's important because a lot of times Christianity becomes the praise of men and not of God. Listen, there is never a time in my life that I want people to look at me. I never want them to look at me because it's not of men. It is of God. Listen, if God is not in it, it's not worth doing. If God is not in it, it's not worth having. It's all about him. And that's what we all need to understand. Nothing that we do is for us. Everything that we do is for Him. Why? Because of what He did for us on Calvary. That's what a real Jew is, according to the Word of God. Christ calls these particular Jews in Smyrna, it's a very interesting thought here, the synagogues of Satan, which clearly reveals Satan is the author of all persecution of Christians. Evil people are simply His instruments. Number three, the condemnation. The condemnation. As I mentioned to you at the very beginning, we've now gone full circle here. The condemnation. Smyrna is one of two churches to which our Lord gives no condemnation. The other one is Philadelphia. So we'll just move on to the next point. The command. What's the command? Verse number 10. Here it is. Verse number 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of... What's the next word? Life. How many crowns are in the Bible? Does anybody know? You're close. Five. There are five crowns in the Word of God that you can attain. And one of them is here... And uh, the book of Revelation to the church of Smyrna, he said, If you uh, uh, will endure and you will be faithful unto death, I will give thee a crown of life. The crown of life is the endurance crown. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a few moments, um, about how that as a Christian we obtain this idea of the crown of life and what it truly means. The Christians at Smyrna did not experience the approval or praise of men, but they certainly received both from God. However, their tribulation was not yet over, so our Lord gives them a command in verse number 10. The Lord knew ahead of time of the enemy's plans to have some of the believers in prison and tried as traitors. This was the foreknowledge of God. And uh, he knew what was coming, and so he was giving them a command. He was giving them an exhortation in their life. The Lord said this persecution would be for 10 days. You see that, um, that in verse number 10? Uh, that says uh, that they may be tried, and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Now, uh, this 10 days is a very interesting thought in the book of Revelation. It's been interpreted many different ways, uh, but I want to kind of give you my thoughts on it, and my thoughts are, are coordinated with the Word of God. And so, what do these 10 days actually mean? 
Um, the Lord said that persecution would be for 10 days. Some interpret this to mean 10 specific persecution under the Roman emperors, beginning with Nero and ending with Diocesian. Uh, now, I want you to tell you, you can go back and look at history. I'm not a history buff by any stretch of the imagination. Um, however, I do enjoy biblical history. And so if you go and you begin to study uh, the, the Roman emperors, and you'll see uh, the church at Smyrna uh, be involved in many different persecutions. And so some believe that these were the 10 persecutions. However, when we consider Genesis chapter 24, verse 55, and Acts chapter 25 and verse number 6, it probably refers to a short or limited time. Now, I, I wish I had uh, 30 minutes to stop right here and explain to you about those 10 days and why I believe it's a short time. But this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to go home and you're going to have to study it if you're curious about those 10 days. But let me share with you why I believe it refers to a short, short limited time. Uh, oh, I don't have the verses up there. <laughs> Psych. Oh, um. <laughs> you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> Genesis chapter 24 and verse number 55, it talks about uh, the idea of 10 days. Let me just turn to it real fast. Genesis 24, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, Genesis chapter 24 and verse number 55. The Bible says this, Genesis chapter 24 Verse 55, uh, and her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide uh, with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she shall go. This is uh, talking about uh, Laban and Rebecca. You know the story. Um, Rebecca having her answer to prayer, Laban uh, greeting her, and uh, the errand that Laban had her go on. Um, Rebecca can go. And then the Bible says that, hey, verse number 55 can she abide with us a few days at the least 10? Those were 10 literal um, days there in Genesis chapter number 24. And then if you uh, skip ahead to Acts uh, chapter number 25, I'll read that to you real fast. Uh, Acts chapter 25 and uh, verse number 6, the Bible says, And when he had tarried among them more than 10 days... He went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. This is Paul's appeal to Caesar. And uh, so it was a literal 10 days. So because if you look through the Word of God and you see that 10 days was actually a 10-day period, then we believe in the book of Revelation it is the same uh, thing. But you go home and study it, and uh, that'll be good. Contained in this command is a promise. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, I want you to really get this. If you haven't gotten anything outside of this message, it's really important that you get this. Because the crown of life is not what it sounds like, Okay. Uh, some interpret this to mean that the only those who are faithful unto death will be saved. That is a belief that, that if you get saved, let me just put it to you this way. If you get saved and you accept Christ as your personal Savior and you are faithful to the end of your life, you, never, you, you do your best to stay in tune with God, you do your best to do everything that he has called you to do and you die, you'll be safe. You get the crown of life. However, if you get saved and you live your life and all of a sudden you hit a bump in your life and you go way off the deep end, sorry, you, you, don't, you don't get heaven. That is not biblical, okay? 
we talked about this on Sunday, that the Bible says that no man shall pluck them out of what? The Father's hand. Now, once I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, um, the truth of the matter is, is that I'm still flesh. I still have a choice. And I can make wrong choices. I can do things that are against the Word of God. Am I still saved? Yes. If I'm truly saved, though, I'm probably getting punished. Right? It's kind of like my kids. If my son goes out and he does something terrible and ends up in the Carrollton News and uh, everybody goes, and I got to take a ride down and the sheriff meets me and we begin to talk about what he did, can I go to that sheriff? Well, he's not my son. Can I say that? No. I can't say that. Because no matter what, guess what? He's my son. When I was a little kid, I was probably 16 years old. There was a court case in Florida where I lived of this young man who was 8 years old. He was trying to divorce his parents. I don't know if you remember that. It wasn't that long ago. Um, <laughs> just yesterday, right? Uh, but this kid was trying to divorce his parents. And he was saying, I don't want to live with them anymore, and I, I, don't want to, I, I don't even want any association with them. I don't know if you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says. But do you know that this young man, when he turned 17 years old, was in a critical car accident? You ready for this? They get him to the hospital. And do you know the question that they ask him? Who are your parents? And... He had actually succeeded with this whole court debacle and was adopted by another family because he wanted to divorce his original family. And there was nothing wrong with his original family, by the way. They were good people. But he was in this accident, and they said, who are your parents? And he mentioned his adopted parents, which, I mean, granted, they had raised him for eight or nine years. I get it. But he went through this whole debacle. And I'll never forget when I was reading this story by, by Paul Harvey. He said, it was funny because the doctor said to him, no, I saw you on television. That's not your parents. And then the doctor said this. It was Paul Harvey. You know how, have you ever heard Paul Harvey? You know how he just kind of sticks it at the end? And this is what he said. He said the doctor looked at him and said, do you want me to save your life? Because if you do, you'll call your parents. And you know what? When Jesus Christ took me as his child, there is nothing I can do to undo that. Now, I can harm the work of God, and I can tarnish my name, but I'm still his son. So don't ever let anybody tell you that those that have strayed away, you may be here today and you have a child or you have a, a brother or sister that used to be faithful to church and, and, and they, there was a moment in their life when they've accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And now they're out doing things that you couldn't imagine a Christian doing. If they truly repented at a point in their life, they are saved. They're saved. Now, they're probably experiencing a lot of trouble in their life because God is trying to get their attention. And God is going to continue to try to get their attention until their days are done. 
but we will always be saved. Now, this, uh, it, this verse has nothing to do with being saved. It concerns rewards or crowns, as the New Testament calls them. There are actually five different crowns, which are rewards for different and special service to the Lord. I'd encourage you, we're going to talk about more crowns as we go through the book of Revelation, but I encourage you to start now studying the crowns. They're a very interesting study, um, and uh, it, it'll be a, a great blessing to you. Number five, the comfort, and I've got to hurry. The comfort. Uh, this is found in verse number um, 11, is the comfort. As in all letters, the comfort is given to any individual who will listen and respond to what, he's, what is being said. For those who overcome, Jesus says, they shall not be hurt of the second death. Huh. This is a great thought. The first death is a what? A physical death. The second death is a what? Spiritual death. I love this fact. If you were born once, you will die twice. But if you were born twice, you will only die once. Right? If I was born in my mother and I was born again in Jesus Christ, if God doesn't come back, I will only have to die one time. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if I'm born of my mother and I never accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I will experience a physical death and I will experience a spiritual death. Can I tell you something today that I believe with all my heart? That I believe with all my heart the only real reason or intent, I can't say intention, the only real reason that hell exists was for the evil one and his followers. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We make our own choices. So the first death is a physical death, and however, there is a more serious death, a second death. Revelation chapter number 20, we'll get there eventually, but the Bible says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'm going to take a quick detour here because I want to make sure everybody understands this. There is a difference between hell and the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that when someone passes that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are cast into hell. Hell will eventually deliver up the dead in them and they will be judged according to their works. The only thing that they will be judged on is the fact that their name is not written in the book of life. They made a choice to reject instead of accept. And because of that, death and hell are going to be cast into the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone, the Bible says, which is the bottomless pit. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We'll talk about that more as we get there. Um, if you have questions about that, you can ask. Um, the lost person lives to die, but the believer dies to live. The second death is the death that no believer in Christ will experience. You can see that in John chapter number 5. The second death actually is separation from God and from every good thing he intended for his children. So today, if you're struggling in your life with work, people, finances, or anything else, know that you are not alone. And we will be overcomers and victorious in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just have to be faithful to the end. Any thoughts tonight? Any questions? Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, brother. Can I get a witness? 
good. Anybody else? Any questions? That's good. Well, thank you for being here tonight, and uh, thank you for uh, listening so well. And uh, we'll get through uh, all the churches. I know many of you have emailed me and called me and texted me about different questions that you've had or are having as you're reading ahead, and, uh, which is great. And uh, things that, that uh, we've even hit, touched base on, and you said, well, I don't know uh, how that is or why that is. And if you have questions like that, I'm happy to uh, help you in any way that I can. Uh, I'm just excited that you're excited about studying and reading um, the Word of God, and, and uh, it's exciting to me as we uh, journey through this together. Well, let's pray, and uh, we'll be on our way. Father, we love you. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for its relevancy and its excitement and uh, everything that we can learn and know about you. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy Son's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We need candy.